as the kids are uh, leaving. Uh, if you will, uh, turn with me um, to Romans chapter 3. We're going to look at verses 10 through 18. As Cody read earlier, um, Romans 5 starts out uh, with the word therefore. And most of us would agree that uh, this chapter break should not be here. But um, so we, we try to look at uh, the text as a whole. And often uh, the chapter breaks and the verses often don't make sense. So we just have to uh, try to get it to flow as it was originally written. And of course, you don't start a chapter with the word therefore. So um, we have to, when we, we know from basic uh, Bible reading that when we see the word therefore, we have to ask what, it, what is it therefore? And of course, it's pointing back uh, into Romans. And we have to look, it's actually going back to Romans 3, uh, 21 through 4, 25, because that's where Paul introduces justification by faith. And so he's, he's really uh, laying down a very um, crucial and essential argument for justification by faith because that is the way that we are justified. And, of course, he takes us back to Abraham and um, shows that even before the law that, we were, that he was justified before by faith. And in the beginning of chapter 3 here in Romans... It reveals that everyone is guilty of sin before God. So let's look right here. It says, um, as it is written, there is none righteous, not even one. There is none who understands. There is none who seeks for God. All have turned aside. Together they have become useless. There is none who does good. There is not even one. Their throat is an open grave. With their tongues they keep deceiving. The poison of asp is under their lips, whose mouth is full of cursing and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood. Destruction and misery are in their paths, and the path of peace they have not known. There is no fear of God before their eyes. Paul is quoting uh, from Psalms as well as Isaiah 59, 7 in verse 15. The worst part of our sinful condition is found in that last phrase. There is no fear of God before their eyes. This reveals uh, the depths of our depravity. Uh, we're living this as a nation now. Without the fear of God, uh, this is what you get. All of the sin above can at least be repented of if we have enough conviction to fear God. But as we see here, there is no fear of God. And so it's hard to imagine what we're capable of doing without that fear. As we've been learning uh, on Wednesday nights, God is holy and we are evil. Because of this, we are born under the wrath of God. There is nothing you or I can do 
God is at war with us. <coughs> we used to hear, and I don't know, I guess we started saying this uh, as a way of giving us comfort, but we used to hear that God hates sin but loves the sinner. Uh, if you've been with us on Wednesday night, we realize that we can't really separate sin from the sinner because that's who we are, that's what we do. In Psalm 5.5, 5, it says, The boastful shall not stand before your eyes. You hate all who do iniquity. Psalm 7.11, God is a righteous judge and a God who has indignation every day. Jeremiah 21.5 says, I myself will wage will will war against you with an outstretched hand and a mighty arm even in anger and in wrath and great indignation Nahum 1 2 and 3 says a jealous and avenging god is the lord the lord is avenging and wrathful the lord takes vengeance on his adversaries and he reserves wrath for his enemies. The Lord is slow to anger and great in power, and the Lord will by no means leave the guilty unpunished. In whirlwind and storm is his way, and clouds are the dust beneath his feet. Look at me, uh, one, look with me here one more time at, um, let's go back to. Romans 1, look at 18 through 20. This is a review, of course, of what we've been in uh, for quite some time now. It says, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth in unrighteousness because... That which is known about God is evident within them. For God made it evident to them. For since the creation of the world, His invisible attributes, His eternal power, and divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood through what has been made, so that they are without excuse." So this is our problem that we're in because, as we see here, no one is without excuse. So we have a huge debt to God. And um, R.C. Sproul gave a good uh, illustration of this. Uh, and, uh, of course, I'm going to adjust his due to inflation. You'll see this in a minute. <laughs> um, he talks about, of course, if you've ever listened to R.C. Sproul much, there's going to be words that you're going to have to look up, but, uh, and, and not biblical words. It's just the way he talks. But he talks about the difference between a moral debt and a pecuniary debt. And a pecuniary debt, he says, you have, you have a kid that goes in to an ice cream shop. He orders two scoops of ice cream. 
Woman hands it to him. And she says, okay, that'll be 1250. Well, he pulls out his iPhone. He taps his iPhone. His mom was giving him $6 of Apple cash. So now he's short. He has no more money. Well, then a gentleman behind him says, well, said, that's okay. He said, here, I'll just pay for the rest. And of course, he's paying the debt that he owes with legal tender. So the merchant takes the money and everything is fine. The man did something nice for the kid and maybe the kid learned a lesson. Um, and that's fine. That is a pecuniary debt. A moral debt, however, is when the kid runs into the store, grabs whatever he can find, and run, runs out. Now the woman is running the shop. She's screaming at him, stop. The police hears him, catches the boy, brings him back in and says, hey, is this the one that stole from you? And she's like, yeah, that's him. So now the problem is, even if that nice and young man is here and is willing to pay for what was stolen, the kid's still broken the law. That is a moral debt that mere money can't pay. And so it is going to be up to the owner and the policeman to figure out, is that acceptable? Is just payment acceptable because he's broken a law that cannot be, there is penalties for that, no matter what. And this is um, where we stand. We are, we are sinners in the sense that we have, as R.C. puts it, committed cosmic treason. It's not that we've done the best we could and just made mistakes. We have actually rebelled against a holy God. So there's only one who can justify that because we have broken the law. Romans 3.23 tells us, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, being justified as a gift by His grace through the redemption which is in Christ Jesus, whom God displayed publicly as a propitiation in His blood through faith. This was, this was to demonstrate His righteousness because in His forbearance, because of the forbearance of God, He passed over the previous sins committed for the demonstration, I say, of His righteousness as the present time so that He would be just and the justifier of the ones of the one who has faith in Christ. Peace with God is not universal. The last phrase is very important. So that we would be so that he would be just and the justifier for the one who has faith in Jesus. If you don't have faith in Jesus Christ alone, for your salvation, you don't have peace with God. If you have heard the gospel, God has changed your heart and your mind, which causes you to turn from your sins and put your faith in Jesus Christ. Chapter 5 
of Romans is for you, and it is great. Again, I'll read it one more time. Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom also we have obtained our introduction by faith into the grace in which we stand, and we exalt in hope of the glory of God. Justified is in the aorist passive tense. By this one word, justification by works is proven wrong. You are not justified in the end by your good works. Your good works can't outweigh the bad. God justified us by faith in this life. We have peace with God. This is the Greek word, arene. Uh, it's actually where the, the name Irene comes from. Peace in Scripture can be subjective and objective. In uh, Philippians 4, uh, 6 and 7, it says, Be anxious for nothing, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your request be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all comprehension, will guard your heart and your minds in Jesus Christ. <coughs> uh, Stephen Lawson says that this subjective peace is what God gives us to keep us calm when we trust in His sovereignty during the storms of life. Objective peace here in chapter 5 is a, is a peace that is declared by God in His Word. It is not something that we can experience or feel emotionally. As a matter of fact, and we won't cover this, but in verse 3, the, he goes into talking about suffering, which, of course, is not something that we would associate with peace. This is our position with God in Christ. It is the Greek equivalent of the Hebrew word shalom. God is no longer at war with us, but there is more to it. This is not just a state of neutrality with God. But in verse 2, it says, Through whom also we have obtained our introduction or access by faith. Now we have access to God, the holy God that hates us in our sin, that is angry with us every day, gives us access to Him through the cross of Jesus Christ. This is no, there is no greater accomplishment than providing a sinner with access to a holy God. This access does go both ways. This grace can be hard. Some people will feel uncomfortable with this because God does not leave His people alone. When a sinful man accesses a holy God, the man changes. 
after all that God has done in order to save us, that's just Him getting started. Through whom also we have obtained our introduction by faith into this grace in which we stand, and we exalt in the hope of the glory of God. This is, we actually, we exalt or boast in the expectation of the glory of God. That's what that means. This is not, uh, Joey has covered this uh, last week, that this is not the way we typically use hope. Uh, this is a done deal. We are just waiting for it. Uh, we boast in the hope of the glory of God. And we're going back to Romans 3.23, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. So the glory of God is our mark. That is our goal. That's what we are to be aiming for. We are created in the image of God. God's glory is our goal. By sinning, we have missed God's glory. But now that we have peace with God through faith in our Lord Jesus Christ, we can expect the glory of God. Romans 8, 18 tells us, For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory that is to be revealed to us that could be also translated revealed into us. We are now justified by God. We have peace with God. We are expecting to be transformed into the glory that we missed when we sinned. So when we look in the manger through the lens of Scripture, we see the eternal peace offering by God on behalf of His people. Let's pray.